Well, Timmy, I have to hand it to you. It's the best mindfuck month of the podcast yet. Total Recall, coming up next. Haven't seen it. Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenay. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And this is my first time seeing Total Recall, the 1990 version. We just need to make that explicitly clear. So that way you don't. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be in the title on the description. <laughs> but so that way you don't turn off immediately and go, what is wrong with these guys? Um, we're going to just thinking? pretend that other one doesn't exist because it doesn't. Um, yeah. This is my first time seeing Total Recall. I, you saw it last summer for the first time. I remember we were talking about it uh, when we yeah, were covering so, some of the other Beerhoven. So basically, pretty much like last year after we covered the Terminator, uh, we uh, I decided that whole week like fuck, I'm gonna go watch all the horror movies I can. So that week I watched Commando, um, Predator, um, and Total Recall and Terminator One and Two. We covered Terminator last year on the pod, and I discovered at the end of that week that holy shit, we timed out our Terminator One episode perfectly. And uh, this week is Arnold Schwarzenegger's birthday. Um, so happy early birthday to him. Um, but yes, from there, I was just like, okay, fuck it. Yeah, I'm going to watch Total Recall. Love this movie. I was on a Verhoeven kick, a hell of a Verhoeven kick last year. And I think it's just continued. I love this guy. And this movie's fuck, uh, amazing. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Uh, I I think from the other Verhoeven I'd seen, I've seen, I preferred the other two. Not that this was bad. It's great. Mm-hmm just personal taste um but since this is verhoven week uh, or verhoven on the podcast i'd buy that for a dollar and we got a lot more of those uh we got a lot more of those little lines in this movie it, it feels like yeah. like he works so well with those kind of just little characters and just like a verhoven's greatest strength i think is just bringing the world to life like the world yeah. in and of itself is a character um and you really feel that in this movie like overall he's just great at just mastering like you know like the media and stuff like that through like starship troopers robocop and this just like how many like news clip vignettes are kind of are uh throughout the movie it's just really adds and just a great way to like exposition dump really (laughs) in an engaging way yeah it's engaging exposition uh tells you what's going on without telling you it we'll dive more into it in a little bit it is the fallout of barbenheimer the bomb was dropped on the box office and it was not a bombing it was a gigantic success one of the most mm-hmm. successful opening weekends ever um i believe barbie cleared 150 million domestically oppenheimer eight over 80 million domestically which for a three-hour r-rated biopic is incredible and i think yeah, they, Jesus. and i think you can double that internationally um but somebody decided to go on vacation this past weekend and didn't get a chance to go to the movies. So we're going to do uh, something we've never done before. We're going to put a little mini Barbenheimer because Tommy is double featuring them tomorrow. Please don't fall asleep in the theater, Tommy. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. In the first movie, at least like one or two. So, I mean, okay. like, I think I will be able to get enough uh, space in. Uh, yeah, I had other plans. I saw Kevin Smith's comic book store over the weekend filled with uh, Kevin Smith movie props uh, in New Jersey. Okay. We're talking about Barbara, uh, it was we're fun. talking about Barbenheimer, Tommy, not. But not Barbenheimer, Kevin we'll Smith's be talking about. Comic book yeah. shop. We will be Jesus. covering Barbie and Oppenheimer separately. 
Tommy, I just I know how much you love Kevin Smith, and I just have to let you know how much our audience go, shrugs and considers turning this off every time you mention his name. So, oh, oh, oh no, <laughs> I'm just being mean to you, Kevin Smith. That's it, exclusively. Um, so, our what did we watch lately section might be a little bit more skewed because I have seen both. I will save my thoughts for the episode, but Tommy. What have you watched lately? Uh, so I guess the most recent thing I've watched uh, was The Meg. Uh, haven't seen the first one before. Meg 2 is coming out next month. I was kind of curious to see because it looks like some schlocky fun. And I hope if The Meg 2 is a fuck ton better because The Meg 1 was a boring, schlocky movie. It's a B movie. You expect to just to see like a giant shark eat people and it barely had that. And, <laughs> the, you know. From the trailer, it looks like it corrects that mistake because it has Jason Statham on a jet ski with a giant spear, like (laughs) going towards it. And I'm like, uh, like, I don't want to see this movie, but I want to see that. Like, I I gotta know. And I know I'm going to be disappointed. (laughs) Like, I'll probably, because I have the AMC pass, I'll, you know, I got nothing going on. Like, I might go see the Meg 2 just for exclusively that one sequence. Yeah. (laughs) But I just know I'm like, there might be a chance that if like I'm really disliking the movie, and I get that one, the one thing that I want out of it, I might just like leave before it's over. <laughs> right, right. After it feels that scene. like I mean, one, it feels like one of those yeah. movies where it's like, I just, yeah, want you watch that those. one part. Yeah. You, you see the one action set piece, like, cool, that's awesome. But I mean, like, the Meg one it just felt like it could have been just the easy, campy camp, uh, classic, and instead just like was a kind of a weird slow burn, just boring and just weird. It's, Felt it's like written by AI. A, it's it's, <laughs> it's hard to make a campy classic when yeah, one it's written by like AI assistants. Like yeah, the, yeah, Hollywood. Like we know we uh, we already covered it, but like AI is just going to make this robotic dialogue that nobody wants in their movies. Um, two, uh, when you like, I feel like camp really needs practical effects. And when your whole movie is just a CGI shark, it just takes yeah. away from that charm. Because this is a B movie that's being released as an A movie, you know, as like a as a you know as a Hollywood release. Yeah. Um So I don't know. I kind of just want to see the Jason Statham jump like on a bigger screen. Um, but I don't know if it's warranted going in. Like I'm not a big like I got to see the reviews of. I'll just go see what I want. But I might just yeah. see like, all right, is this actually worth like? Si- sitting through or do i just wait for the clip to come out on youtube like that's (laughs) just yeah wait wait until like fucking uh netflix and just like fast forward that one scene and be like okay whatever (laughs) yeah yeah exactly that's that's kind of all i want um so a movie that i saw very interesting movie so one of my friends came over for dinner and he's like one of my favorite movies is Gotti, and i jumped up in my seat and i said the 2018 john travolta Gotti which is like oh, one of the worst movies ever and he was like Who's no. his friend and he was like no no this was wow. this was the john got the Gotti 1996 it was an hbo original movie so it's a tv movie um we found a cut of it on youtube um because it wasn't on max because david zaslav has a stick up his ass but but um I I it was really well acted it was a really good way of telling that story it's shot so intimately um, which mm-hmm. I liked in parts. I I wish it's a TV movie, so it's a little bit harder to to credit to criticize it because it's like it was shot for TV. It was shot by a four or four by three aspect ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just side the sound mix on the YouTube rip that we found was abhorrent. 
and the subtitles were even worse. So it made uh, yeah. <laughs> some of the dialogue hard to hear, but it was like extremely well written, definitely a very intelligent script. Um, if you can find this version of it, it stars, it's got like half the Sopranos cast in it. Armand Asante's John Gotti, um, Frank Vincent's in it, um, Dominic Chinese, who plays Uncle Uncle Vito, uh Vincent Pastore, who plays uh Pussy in the Sopranos, uh Tony Sirico, who plays Polly Walnuts in the Sopranos. I'm just saying <laughs> so, so pretty much the, all all the like typical a lot of the, Italian mobster actors. Yeah, a lot of yeah, it's it's all, <laughs> they all came through this. <laughs> which is great, and it's just really well performed and it, it tells that story. And I wonder just from the TV movie angle where it's like, it, you know, just a bunch of guys sitting in a room talking for most of the movie um, where it's you go, like <laughs> where, yeah, where you get the, the trying to get the, the theatrical version of it and it just gets too excessive with the violence and it doesn't handle the characters well. This handles the characters extremely well. Definitely a worthy watch if you stumble across it on YouTube or if you sail the high seas of the internet and find a good copy of it to to somehow add to your collection, would definitely recommend it from that version. But uh, yeah, don't mistake it for the John Travolta one because that is an abhorrent, abhorrent I, movie. Apparently, I, I, feel, I feel like that's a movie you gotta like hate watch. I, I was reading recently uh, on EV Club like worst biopics ever, and that was like number one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Gotti 1996 release definitely recommend um and I'll see if we recommend total recall what would you do if you discovered somebody stole your mind and there was only one way to get it back catch Arnold Schwarzenegger. Get ready for a surprise! Total Recall. All right, Total Recall. It's a science fiction action film uh, starring Schwarzenegger, Rachel Tukotkin, Sharon Stone. We see where Beerhoven falls in love with her. Uh, right there, yeah. Ronnie Cox and Michael Ironside. It was based off a short story from the 60s called We Can Remember It for You Wholesale, which I totally read in preparation for this episode. 100%. We, yeah, 100%. But yeah, by Philip K. Dick. So, you know, this is coming from the same guy as uh, Blade Runner. And, you know, just like I'm trying to think of the other ones off the top of my head, but, you know, Total Recall, obviously. He just was a sci fi legend right here. So uh, the fact that we have her hoping adapting this was amazing pick. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was the right pick and the right um, way to tell the story because we called there what uh, there there could there could have been like a disastrous like oh yeah no this is the fine balance this is a fine balance a fine line of a movie of like really one wrong scene one scene that kind of takes you out of the tone um, which I kind of want to lean into uh, towards the end where it gets, I, I was kind of, I, I didn't love the ending. It was just very like. Oh, you didn't love the ending? Uh, I mean, like oh, at the very last scene where like Schwarzenegger's like, well, this is all a dream. Like I just had a terrible thought. Yeah, like, well, I, I definitely didn't like that. Um, well, I, mean, I, I liked that they just left it as is because I, I didn't take it as an interpretation that it was a dream. Um, But uh, it could be. I mean, who, who knows? I, I, 
I mean, pretty much like we talked about this in the beginning of the pod. This has been mindfuck month for us because we called, uh, covered Mulholland Drive and last the week prestige. was the Prestige, which was also mindfuck. So this right here, I think, is like the n- biggest '90s like mindfuck, probably uh, at least up this there. Is, this is baby's first mindfuck. Um, baby's first mindfuck. Oh, <laughs> Schwarzenegger says the best mindfuck yet. I mean, like is Schwarzenegger lying to me? It's a, it's a, it's very good. It's a little predictable in the storytelling, yeah. which I think works in this. Like, I don't want these twists that like, like you have so much going on because um, you have to also introduce the science fiction element to things that like the prestige and Mulholland drive did not have to. It's based on things that, you know, uh, that this does that... have to set up a little bit of exposition, but I mean, like overall, I think of the three movies we cover this month, uh, prestige is probably the best but this is the most entertaining one total recall i would argue mulholland drive is the best one um we'll we'll define entertainment for entertaining to you for me because (laughs) that's a very broad term very broad this is uh i think of the three movies uh total recall is the one that i would probably revisit the most um Mm. i mean this is my second watch of this uh last uh last week is my second watch of the prestige mulholland drive i'm gonna rewatch eventually but i'm not exactly on uh you know the uh front of the key right now but um total recall is just a movie just like the arnold schwarzeneggerness of it all just like you know his one-liners right here i just think the whole entire mindfuck of it is and you know this movie does still have revealing thoughts it's not just a stupid dumb action movie i think it elevates it a little bit past you know your stereotypical schwarzenegger or stallone 80s schlock right here <laughs> yeah it, it it does um it it, it it's not it's not schlocky. It, 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 listen, it's the most entertaining, I would say, uh, in the concept of, you know what, actually, in the definition of entertaining, this is definitely the most entertaining of it. It's just, it, out of the three, it's the easiest to just put on at any point yeah. and just kind of, the movie kind of just take you in, where the other two kind of feel like... You have to watch it all in one sitting. Kind you of have to watch it all in one sitting. You have to, like, absorb it and take it in. It's not a it's it, you know and they're they're more resonant i would say that's definitely mulholland drive is like that that resonant feeling of it where this one i was like that was really fun i had a good time with it um yeah. <laughs> it was a good movie but i didn't feel the same way that i did when i watched robocop for example um well oh i feel like this, the one criticism i had of this movie on rewatch um because i think i saw this before i saw robocop um for the first time um is that this movie kind of feels like almost like retread Robocop in some some aspects. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. especially like the news presentation style right here, having Ronnie Cox well, and that's as the just, villain again. And Ronnie just, Cox is essentially playing the same character. I mean, there's mm-hmm. I couldn't really Well, it's it's see. corporate it's corporate America, but that that also comes down to the the story of it. Like I don't know if that's really yeah. a criticism of Verhoeven and he found a style that worked of of it um I, I just meant more in the way that the move RoboCop wraps it up. Like RoboCop kind of has this very slow pace in the first 10 minutes or so. Like it, it's, it's, it's slower paced. It's satirical and comical, but it like slowly builds up to the release, like to the reveal of RoboCop and then puts its foot on the pedal and doesn't take it off. And then just ends in such a beautifully satisfying way. Um, that you kind of have goosebumps the first time you watch it. Like mm. this, I was like really engaged, like 
the first 10 minutes, I'm like, all right, let's just see what's going on here. Then the second act, like the, I would say that the second act was the best part of this movie, which is odd for a lot of movies. Not that the second act needs to be not need. Like I would say that was the, like had the least flaws to it. You know, I, I it just felt the most captivating, the most riveting, the most. That yeah. Would, well, like, I mean, because this is where the reveals were kind of happening, kind of this mm-hmm. movie unraveled. Well, it was the, the reveals just... and it was the traveling. It was like the different worlds and just like the different characters. Um Going into the the neon bar, the 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 sleazy club, um, with the lady with the three boobies. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, this is also why this is the best movie of the three. I mean, you have three movies, you have boobies in Mulholland Drive, but not three boobies. Actually, you have four in Mulholland Drive, two pairs. Yeah, yeah. I kind of stumped you. I kind of stumped you there, Tommy. Damn, got me there. Got me there right there. Got got him. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, so, I mean, going on the Robocop of this all, I mean, like pretty much this is how Verhoeven got the film. Um, you know, this movie was kicked around for a while in the 70s. Dan O'Bannon and um, Richard, uh, or sorry, Ronald uh, Suset, uh, they pretty much like took a stab at the Philip K. Dick novel. And they uh, pretty much were like, yeah, this we don't know how to end this movie. So instead, they started focusing on another sci-fi movie uh, called Alien. You might have heard of that one. So anyways, little known, you know, little known film called Alien. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyways, you know, in the 80s, like, you know, they tried to uh, kick this around to other directors. Uh, David Cronenberg was uh, apparently attached to this movie at first, and uh, I could see that being even more of a mindfuck. And this part's not shocking. Apparently, he was responsible for doing uh, Quato. Um, it definitely seems like a Cronenberg monster right there, to say the yeah. least. Um, so pretty much, you know, there's people like Christopher Reeves was cons- uh, Christopher Reeves was considered, Jeff Bridges was considered, uh, William Hurt was uh, who Cronenberg wanted to cast. And then eventually this movie is almost set up with um, Patrick Swayze cast as Quaid. I could see, I could then, see, I could see Swayze pulling this off. He he definitely could. But I mean, uh, this would have been uh, not with Cronenberg as director. This would have been uh, Bruce Bretford, uh, Bresford, uh-huh. who i couldn't even tell you what movie that night yeah i've never heard the name before so yeah yeah but anyways yeah so uh you know they were building the cassette construction in australia and then the studio fought for bankruptcy and everyone was fired and the sets had to be destroyed so they already had fucking eight million pre-production costs so other studios were available to purchase it and wrote Schwarzenegger became aware of this he's like i want this fucking movie paul verhoven he made robocop that movie's awesome uh let me get him in here and pretty much that's just how it got set up and Schwarzenegger and this is pretty much apex Schwarzenegger I mean like Terminator 2 was probably a year after this so two years but you, 92 that was his 92. peak well I'd say this is pretty much the era of his peak you know the, well, the, the 80s to then to, to T2 is his that's the that's the the apex of his of his mountain of his career was um was T2. Uh, it's the biggest movie he was in, which is saying something considering how many goddamn blockbusters that guy was in. One of the highest yeah. grossing movie stars of all time. I will say in in Schwarzenegger's credit, Verhoeven, prob- out of all that I've seen of, of Arnold, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to take away the um, the Terminator performances because it's it's just the physicality of arnold that you really need in that role um and like the robotic monotone just fits what the character is so you don't need to have like a range and i'm not even saying arnold has a range in this it's just so 
like you think of a lot of wow and like big delivery of lines like it's it didn't really have that it was a very reserved performance from arnold which i think he the, the first act is especially drawing of that because like you know you go from like seeing him in like the terminator movies where he's just playing a robot like he said and the first act of this until like he felt he like gets a human he felt he felt like a human in the first act yeah like a normal dude like just a normal guy which like a normal was, con- normal normal blue collar construction worker which is and, and they make him wear like a big jacket that kind of hides his muscles i mean you still know schwarzenegger but like he doesn't look like superhuman for uh, yeah. a decent and, chunk of this and, film and I'm sure they changed his diet, like and like his lift regiment for this movie versus like the Terminator, where it's like Arnold, we need you as big as humanly possible, <laughs> and and when you say humanly possible, I mean you know some <clears throat> vitamins that you can uh, you know give yourself yeah. to to help you grow size, uh, j- just vitamins, nothing else. Um, yeah. But yeah, like he's very, he just comes off very human and just like in a lot of movies. And sometimes it's a script. It's that, you know, you're dealing with a great director with Verhoeven. Just gets Arnold to almost have his guard down and, and just like be a normal person. And in that, and it just helps you connect to the character. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much what we have here is that Schwarzenegger, unlike other action stars, pretty much just worked with, like, the top directors of his time and, like, in ways that are, like, very creative and very outside the box. Unlike John Black and Dam, who just worked with, like, pretty much, like, schlocky directors. Um, you have James Cameron, John McTiernan, who also created Die Hard and uh, and Paul Verhoeven at this point, and Ivan Reitman in terms of comedy and stuff like that. He just knew how to pick the right projects for him and just the, the top directors and best writers to bring out everything with him. So, I mean, I think as much as Schwarzenegger is a good star, but we have him in more generic movies, like I love it, but Commando, you know, it comes off as just generic, schlocky, funny watch when you're a little drunk and not top tier mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And I, and this is interesting because I actually think The Rock is like a very good performer. Um, I know John Cena and Dave Bautista have like out eclipsed him, but it's this skill set that you just kind of mentioned here of like, Dave Bautista and and John Cena have signed on with talented directors and talented writers to showcase their range. The Rock has kind of stuck with generic studio blockbuster that's going to pay me the most amount of money and didn't really showcase his range. And like I, I like I think he's like a really good performer. But I think yeah. the, and people are now saying, oh, well, John Cena. I'm like, I think The Rock is probably just as talented a performer of them. He just can't get out of his own way. And then he. It's gambled it all of, on black adam and uh, yeah so. it's kind of just like ego thing right here i mean like you know the difference between those other two actors is that they're allowed to be vulnerable or the butt of the joke john cena especially um and you know you always wonder if like the rock it's like when is he going to get his james cameron whereas like his if uh you know if he it worked with too, like it De- might be too late for him he's like the guy of the 2010s like it, it's not like black adam bombed like that was his like Black Adam mm-hmm. should have came out like in 2017 to be a hit, not when superhero fatigue was setting in for like not good superhero movies because there was just that mm-hmm. run in the 2010s where any of them that were made outside of like Justice League just printed money off the press. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing, and we'll talk about it more in our Barbenheimer, excuse me, mini. You just saw, you we just witnessed a gigantic shift in what audiences want in a theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Now, Barbie is IP, I get it, but it's a toy. So it's a little different. And it's behind a 
two two incredible top of the tier writer and a fantastic up and coming director and Greta Ger excuse me Greta Gerwig at the you know like bringing that performance out and then you have Christopher Nolan who's like one of the few like left that has the power to make movie like Oppenheimer the way he did and like I you just I I felt like we just watched and the box office just told us we just watched a perspective shift and I'm not saying dual releases like I already saw they're trying with Paw Patrol and saw whatever was coming out on the same day and they're like yeah that, that and then, smells of desperation <laughs> and then pa Paramount tweeted can't wait to get my tickets for for Saw Patrol and it's like dude those aren't the tones that go together <laughs> in terms of release it was just this utterly ridiculous like you have Oppenheimer this like bleak dark biopic it's it's it's, and it's you, like and then you have Barbie like 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 hanging out over there and you had yeah two really talented directors behind the pictures and it's almost yeah. there i don't think hollywood's going to get the message right the studio executives your david zaslavs and your bob Igers, but they're saying hey we want talented people to tell the movies that they want to tell not what you in a boardroom well, and a bunch of marketing people want to tell like yeah i mean i mean if we take a look at the summer i mean it's just general aspect um you know we have the flash movie that just came out with michael keaton's batman and as that got me in the theater just to see Michael Keaton's Batman, but apparently not enough other people. I'm, I pay for AMC uh, stuff, so it doesn't take me a lot to fucking convince me to go to the theater. <laughs> um, you know, we're seeing that people like aren't really falling for the nostalgia baits as much anymore. Um, the nostalgia base, more, the multiverse, they'll, they'll fall, the multiverse. Yeah, they'll fall is for a yeah, they'll fall for a nostalgia bait if it looks like it's going to be a good movie. I mean, like Spider-Man No Way Home, it also looked like it was going to be a fucking great movie. The Flash just, you know, looked like shit. And you have all these other ones that are just like, okay, like who cares? Indiana right? Jones and the Dial of Destiny, like yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I mean, I I like that movie, but still, it's just like it's the same thing, nostalgia bait right there. And even Mission Little Impossible, Mer one. Mission Impossible failed because I think I, it got fucked. I got fucked by they, state. they should have delayed it into August. That was on them for not for Tom Cruise stubbornness on not moving the release date. Like you had this window, like a month in, to just dominate. Like there's nothing coming out in August outside like the Meg Two, you had this window to just dominate, and you smushed it in the the biggest releases. Like you put it out the week beforehand, and you moved it up three days to just get that extra revenue in. Like I, I they should have pushed it back, but I, it's still doing okay. It it should still at least like break even, which is fine. Um, it's not going to stop but, these movies because like there's clear factors as to why Mission Impossible didn't do as well as they were hoping. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, we we always joke about like how like you know look at like Hollywood only does like sequels or remakes, and like if this comes back to like you know we're talking about Total Recall right now. Total Recall is a movie, sure it's an adaptation by like a short story, but it's not an IP brand, and um, it yeah. was just pretty much just the original story with granted the most popular fucking movie star in the world. But we, I would love to see more stuff like that. Just like a movie star doing more and more creative risks. Uh, we don't really see that as much. And it's the balance. Yeah. It's the balance of like what star power used to be versus what star power is now. I always use Twitch as the example of like, like if you have this niche interest, there's probably a guy that you like who you think is entertaining in the way that you describe it. Like, like there's literally streams of like people doing woodworking that people sit and watch and, and they get enjoyment out of that. Like, like who mm -hmm. people find famous is 
very subjective nowadays it's versus objective so because segmented. of where also where you're getting your where you're getting your information from controls mm. you know if you're just you have a twitter feed that's built out that has no actual mainstream news in it like that traditional view is gone so it makes mm. that like we're going to bet this you know non ip on the rock or whatever yeah well i mean it doesn't have it, that it becomes... potential that like an arnold movie would have had but they also didn't really try it with these actors you know they they didn't mm. give it a give it a chance yeah it's it's bizarre um I mean, like, you know, you think of just how segmented it is. I mean, like, you know, um, sometimes we would look at a musician or something like that, that and, like, you'll see that he's sold out MSG or, like, whatever, and you'll look at him, and, they has, and you're like, I never heard of this fucking person in my life yet. Somehow it is. I mean, maybe it's because we're getting a little older, but it's just also so segmented. But anyways, back to, um, you know, uh, Total Recall. I just wanted to point out, like, Sharon Stone. I mean, this pretty much was in some ways a little bit of her breakout role i mean uh basically mm-hmm. instinct obviously was that made role. her that made her a list but this was her yeah this was her coming out party yeah this is her stepping stone right here i mean like pretty much paul verhoven casted her um you know we talked about that more on our basic instinct episode last year but a big reason was because of her in this movie i mean she gives off such a great little dual performance and like straight up femme fatale and you can see why she ended up working so well in basic instinct a couple of years later yeah, and it was just that that way. It was it was a line from from uh, from Verhoeven where he saw the the way she went from so soft and sweet to just diabolical on a hat. And not to get ahead of the transition that's about to come up in a minute, I, I would say she was gave the best performance out of everybody there. Not she didn't carry the movie, but I felt like she gave the best performance by a mile. And she has the most memorable death of anyone in this movie. Oh yeah, like, of yeah. just like the consider this a uh, considered a divorce, <laughs> which is one of those things. And I remember like how last year we were talking about how uh, Schwarzenegger when saying "I'll be back," um, how he didn't want to say that because he was like afraid to pronounce it. And he's like, I don't know if I could pronounce that. And James Cameron's like, You're gonna fucking pronounce that. And this is a case for Schwarzenegger where he says considered a divorce. <laughs> It doesn't come out that clear. So, and sometimes you're like, you say, this is a divorce? In a divorce? Well, what the fuck, Schwarzenegger? Oh, also, I, I need to shout out um, the cab driver. Um, the Johnny Cab? <laughs> John, no, well, Johnny Cab was great, but then who is it? Uh, the the guy, uh, Benny. Benny the cab driver says, hey, I, I'll take your fare here. I got, I got five kids to feed. I got five kids to feed. Oh, where are you taking me? Then you have that little twist with him. Uh, that was excellent as well. Like I, that one, I did not see coming that he was going to be the one that. Uh, it was yeah, it, it was fun just to unravel just another character. It was just like no one's on this like, side. and you just oh, thought he was going to be this random throwaway side character, just like oh, he's the goofy cab driver. He's fun. He's memorable. Um, but no, no, that wasn't the case. And like the whole Sector Nine sequence and just being in there, that world was so alive. Like. We need to talk about the makeup design here and just like yeah. the way they created the well, faces. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, I, I was thinking back of to obviously one of the most famous bar scenes in any side of the movie ever, the most as a cantina. And like mm-hmm. now, you know, it almost has become somewhat of a trope in sci-fi movies of just like cinema, how bizarre this world is, like all these crazy people in this bar. And obviously Total Recall didn't surpass that, but it did put a pretty good entry in the canon of like 
cool sci-fi bar scenes of just like how crazy like the one guy the pink guy with his like head deformed wherever um obviously the three boobs uh, is just a fucking cool makeup design right there and just like how every character just seems very unique and lived in and it feels like a world that like it's really lived in and beaten down and these people are at the bottom of the food chain they're they're wrung out they're they're desperate they're grifty they they'll do anything they need to to survive um and like that's my just my big takeaway from it is the world of total recall like that's the thing that's going to resonate with me the most not so much the twisty turny like story like it kind of felt very generic story but the way they were able to take from that short story and really bring that world to life like i felt that and and i that's that's what's going to stick with me with this movie and we just had a great performance right here, like Debbie Lee Carrington, who uh, played Chucky in some of the Chucky movies as like a little stunt double. Uh, just great. Oh, she was Thumbelina? Yeah, Thumbelina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was great. I am a star. I'm a star, I'm a star, I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. All right, Tommy, who is the star of the show? I mean, I definitely have to go. Of Schwarzenegger right here. Um, he pretty much put this movie on his back. I mean, there's insane stories of like even behind the scenes where apparently three weeks before the movie's uh, scheduled release, um, public awareness was at 43% for this movie. And Schwarzenegger was like, this is disastrous. This movie's going to be a box office bomb. We need to fix this right now. And he got the producers to pump up more uh, money for advertising to the point that's got 99% public awareness right before release and then it becomes a smash box office hit. So, yeah. I mean, this Fifth movie... highest grossing of 1990, I saw. Um, yeah, like 200 million, over 200 million. And he, you know, it, inside the movie itself, I mean, he gives off the memorable one-liners. He gives off a performance that we said before. Gives very humanistic uh, aspects in ways that we don't really see him very often or mm-hmm. he's not... For a good chunk of this movie, he's not just uh, Superman or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he, he, yeah, he comes out there. I mean, you have to give it to to him. Like, I mean, he does just carry the movie. Like, he is the vehicle for this. Um, I just, I did, I love Sharon Stone in this so much. Like, she was so fantastic. Um, from, like, seductive at first to just, like, mm. to just his, you know, concerned wife to to just diabolical agent. Um I I really liked her performance and I really want to highlight that because well you know Arnold Arnold is Arnold and and it's hard to top his star power. But Sharon, yeah, Sharon Stone does give just such a great performance because she gives off also the most like doubt of this movie. Um the one scene in particular that we haven't really talked about is the one where the guy who says that he's from recall comes out. Oh, into that's the room. such a tense scene. I kind of yeah. read through it too. I was like Mm, this feels like a fake so we we didn't touch on this i mean uh, that much but so what do you think at the end of the movie do you think that this all actually happened or do you think that this movie would if this movie lasted five minutes later we would see him like lobotomized on a chair uh i think it i think it happened um and that's just the way i want to view it i'm sure that if i googled articles what is the true ending of of total recall but that's just not how i like to enjoy movies i like to come away with my own interpretations and so I, for you it's just like this all happened and this is all just like, yeah I, I i think the other end takes away a lot of the impact because like he ends up 
freeing Mars from the control of this business that was just charging them for air and creating a natural oxygen level on Mars. I think if you take that away, like you're just dulling the entire impact, which is why they wisely put it in there. And it also creates that conversation piece. Was it a dream? Was it not? It's a little bit of inception there. Uh, yeah, at the end. I, I mean, yeah, this movie definitely walked so Inception could run. I'm not this movie's bad in many ways, but I mean, like you know, it's just the fact that it's just like the one scene with Doctor Edmar, just like we are on Arnold Schwarzenegger's side right here because we're thinking right now, like we don't want this movie, we don't want the fucking stupid ending of like, oh, it was all a dream and like you just had this great time. Those always feels like cop outs. Those always fucking suck. So when we're hearing all this shit, we're like. No, come on. He can't be true. This isn't a dream. This has to be fucking real. Well, also in Inception's defense, Inception is literally all about the layers of dreams and dreams within dreams. And it's a whole Chris Nolan kind of story that only he could really tell. Uh, so I, I I get what you're saying. And it is a cop out in most movies. I wouldn't say it's a cop out in Inception, but I haven't watched that. In I was talking about Total Recall. Oh, you know, no, I know you're talking about Total Recall. I just meant I you meant that I thought you meant that in a broad generalization of like no, no, I said use the dream as a as a cop out. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. So it's just in in many ways, just it gives off the main layers. I think that this was really real at the end, end thing, but they do really set up in a way that you could come away with it at either aspect. I mean, the fact that we see um, the main girl, um, like in her name off the top of my head. But, you know, see her when he's saying up, what, what's your dream girl right here? Uh, and it ends up looking exactly like Melina on the computer screen right there. Just little subtle touches were just like, shit. <laughs> ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. All right, Tommy, this Total Recall work has a Muppet adaptation. Do we need a three boot Muppet? Because that's why I just, <laughs> first thing my mind went to. All right, get your head out of the gutter, Tommy. <laughs> Uh, I feel like the like the world could be full of Muppets, but just like the, the mutants, stoke... the mutants are just Muppets. Muppets. Yeah, that's the only way I could ever see that kind of working. But then it's not really a Muppet movie; it's just they use puppets in the movie. Uh, yeah. They just use Tencent um, Studios to for puppetry. Well, what, what I do think is that you'd have to keep Schwarzenegger um, some lead, but uh, you just need to see Schwarzenegger just punching Muppets like fucking left and Watching right, watching foam just like fly everywhere. Yeah, that would be that would be fun. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah. Definitely, it's tougher with some of these action movies, especially a Verhoeven one that's always gruesome and bloody to uh, to uh, adapt it to the Muppets. But uh, review time, Tommy. Give me your score out of five. Uh, this is a really fun uh, movie. I'm glad we're covering Verhoeven again. I think he's the director we've covered the most on the podcast at this point. And um, this is just another great staple in his collection right here. Um, Schwarzenegger gives off a really fun performance, very uh, layered performance for him. Um, and then we just have great actors in here, Sharon Stone and like Michael Ironside, who we didn't touch upon, but is great in this movie. Um, and this the whole mind fucking us is really engaging. And this movie is very watchable. It's my second time rewatching it. Um, I finally got to bust out the Blu-ray I bought because I plan on rewatching this over and over and over again. So I'm going to go... Um, I think four out of five. Uh, sometimes it feels reminds me a little bit of RoboCop, but overall, this is a very fun, engaging movie. Yeah, I, I want to give it three and a half out of five. Um, I enjoyed this movie. I, I just I felt like the best character was the world. That's what really grossed me in. It kind of felt like they had these twists in there that just like like they didn't land for me. Like I kind of felt I saw them coming. Um, but not to criticize it, it's a lot of fun, uh, great action sequences, um, totally a rewatchable kind of movie. 
uh, I'll definitely end up watching this again at some point. Um, but yeah, three and a half out of five. So Tommy, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Um, well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on social media at CNETPod. That's on Twitter, Instagram, um, and TikTok, and also the threads, but we don't talk threads about Threads is that. dead. You don't need to... Yeah. I haven't heard anything about threads since it launched. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or uh, Twitter's now X, I guess. So, but whatever. We'll, we'll, we're going to we'll keep calling it. We're going to keep calling it Twitter because I don't think X is going to last very long. But yeah. Um, so, anyways, but yeah, leave us a five star review. Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, where you can the show out and get ready because uh, later this week, we're going to be celebrating uh, Barbaheimer. I'll finally be watching it. And we also just want to say happy birthday to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He turns uh, 76 on July 30th. So uh, this Sunday. (laughs) Happy birthday, Arnold. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.